Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And I'll share just a challenge with you this, this evening. From 1 Corinthians 16, uh, verse 5 through verse 9, is a short passage we'll be reading. And Paul is expressing his desires, his plans that he has made, uh, motivated uh, motivating him to make further plans. You know, what, what motivated Paul uh, was not going hotel to hotel. Uh, Paul didn't have his business expenses taken care of and, and somebody calling ahead to provide all, everything. You know, Paul had a pretty difficult ministry. I don't know if you've read Second Corinthians chapter 11. See all that Paul went through. And you, you, you read this and, and his, you, you sense the urgency that he still has to, to go and travel more, to, tra- to, to see other people saved, churches established. And you wonder what in the world gets Paul up in the morning. A fellow asked me, we have five full-time staff at camp, and one of the men is going through some difficult times physically. And he said, Pastor, how do you do it with your schedule? And I said, I just have things to do. Goals motivate you. And Paul had goals. Paul had goals. He had lots of pain. I'm sure he had pain. I'm sure he had, he had fatigue and he was sick. And he was, at times he was cold. At times he was, he was shipwrecked. And, but he kept going. His goals motivated him and mobilized his team. He, it, it, in this particular passage, he said, Now I'll come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia... For I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Paul had lots of plans. He was filled with an urgency to carry the gospel to the lost. Ever since his calling in, in Acts chapter 9 was recorded and, and he, re, he remembered his, his calling in Acts chapter 26, he was consumed with the idea of taking the mystery of the gospel to, to preach the, the unsearchable riches of Christ, that mystery that the Gentiles also were fellow heirs with the Jews. Fellow heirs in and inheriting the privileges and promises of God. What a blessing. He was consumed with it. And we see in this passage that he's talking about doors of opportunity. He always had plans. He always desired to go one more place. To stay longer. He lamented the fact he had to leave so quickly on many occasions. He always subjected his plans to the will of God. God, through controlled circumstances, through his providence, directs and permits. That's why we often say God willing. Yes, we make plans and we say God willing because we understand that God knows best. And he's he's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's a good God. He's wise. It's always 
Best to trust in him. And it, sometimes it goes against our plans, but Paul was always looking at opportunities. But I, I, I never see, except for one occasion in, in, in Acts where he, he was discouraged. And he said, I, I, I'm leaving. And, and, and God told him, don't leave. I have much people in this city. Don't leave. And he stayed. But Paul was always looking for an opportunity to share the word of God. He was always looking for an opportunity to, to, to uh, uh, preach the gospel. Now, as anything, there's always pessimists in the crowd. There's always somebody that's going to see the glass half empty. The optimist will always see the glass half full. Pessimist sees problems in every opportunity. But you know what? When you're walking with God and you're motivated by goals, you see opportunities in every problem. And Paul saw a city with great spiritual needs, great spiritual challenges. And he saw it as an opportunity. He saw it as an open door and effectual. It was a great, it was a great door. He decided to capitalize on those opportunities and share the hope of the gospel. It says in verse 8, I will tarry in Ephesus... Until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. You remember what Ephesus was like. It was not a walk in the park. Ephesus was a, was a place where the, the general population followed Satan. They practiced, it says in the King James, curious arts. They were people that followed their lust and their desires. They, they did not look to God. You remember the riots. You remember the, the opposition, the great opposition that Paul faced. And Paul didn't see it as an, as, a, as an opposition. He didn't see it as something that's not going to work. He said, here's an opportunity. Here's the people that need hope. And because that one man, God used him. His enthusiasm, his desire, his, his, his drive, his mission, his mission team as they got to Ephesus and began to preach the gospel. It says, it, it says in Acts chapter 19, if I'm not mistaken, it said, you know, these people, they, they heard the gospel and then they got together and they, they confessed and, and they confessed their deeds and, and they, they manifested them. And then it says they burned their books and the word of God prevailed. They turned their back on their, on, their, on their God, which was Satan. They turned their back on Satan and embraced God, embraced salvation through faith, by, by grace through faith. It wasn't an easy place. But Paul saw an opportunity. He saw a door of opportunity. I will tarry there until Pentecost. It was inconvenient for any believer. It was contrary to the gospel. With the Temple of Diana, the public riots caused by preaching, legalized uh, prostitution, massive idolatry, magic superstitions. It was, it was a place of undoubtable need, but undoubtable inconvenience for a believer. Ministry's messy. It's not always what you'd like it to be. You know, in Morelia, it's not you come to church and... You know, we have a church in a, in a, we try to keep it as orderly as possible. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to have people to hear the gospel. And so we have to tolerate kids that come that are bus kids. And they, all of a sudden, they stand up and walk around. I, many times they'll come up to the pulpit and they'll try and ask me a question during the message. And I'll say, I have a seat now. 
Somebody will come up and help me because they're quick. And if, you, if you stand up like you're going to catch them, they'll run. So you have to be, you have to be wise. So you kind of go up to them sideways. And then you grab them. Right in the middle of church. Folks, it's not always the way we'd like it to be. Or they come and, and they don't talk the way you'd like them to talk. They don't sing like you'd like them to sing. They don't dress like you'd like them to dress. But you know what? That's the gospel working in every heart. That's what ministry is all about. Ministry is about getting a phone call at 3 in the morning because nobody ever told them you're not supposed to call somebody after 10 o'clock. They have a problem. They call you. You know, they, they haven't read the Bible too much. So, so, so they're coming and, and they give a testimony and they're swearing during the testimony. Ministry is messy. But you know what? God transforms lives. It's a blessing to see Ernesto and Amalia that were in the depths of despair. This couple, they found themselves in a drug rehab center. They were practically on death's door, consumed by addiction. A child of four years old, another one of six years, six years old, a teenager. Their family was a mess, as you can well imagine. After they dried out in the, in the, in the rehab, they found Christ. They found Christ and they got out of drug rehab and they came to church and they haven't missed a Sunday in two and a half years. They haven't missed a Thursday in two and a half years. And Nesta was sick one day. He didn't come. That was the only, only time. God has worked a miracle in their lives. They're not without struggles, folks. In these two and a half years, they've, they've married. They, they've gone before the judge. They've formalized their relationship. Not because we required them to. We counseled them. And they made the decision. They, they consumed the word of God. They, we, we spent weeks with them in discipleship. Going to their home every week for, for weeks. Studying the, the basics of what, what, what are the basic steps for, the, for a new believer. What is the Bible? What is, what is prayer? Why do we go to church? Why, why do we sing? Why do, why, what is this offering stuff? What is that? Grounding them in the faith. As we, as we were there in those, those first weeks, Ernesto didn't say a word. He would just look like this, very quiet, very stoic. After a few months, he started talking. After a few months, he had a question. He had a, another question, another question. They joined the, the Bible Institute that we met once, we met once a week to uh, study the Word of God. One, one subject at the time. They enrolled. They had a desire to take the gospel to their family. They had a desire to take the gospel to their friends, the friends that are still addicts. They were visiting three different drug rehabs, three nights a week, Saturday visitation, Sunday in church, Thursday in church. We have Thursday night services. Now, you say, well, that, well, that sounds busy. He'd get home at 7 o'clock. As soon as he got home, he'd leave. He'd just change clothes and leave. Folks, a guy that was transformed by the Word of God. The Word of God works. The word of God, the power of God is evident in his life, in the life of Amalia. What a blessing to see them both walking the, the, the Christian walk and fellowship with the Lord. 
struggling every now and then, but thankfully not with drugs. Struggle with other things, just as you and I struggle. But God is doing a great work. Doors of opportunity. There are so many opportunities in Morelia. There's so much need everywhere you look. You know, we shouldn't be so concerned about where I need to be. We just need to be concerned about serving where God has me. I, I graduated with a fella uh, 30 years ago. And he spent 20 years trying to figure out where God wanted him to be. 20 years. Rather than just serving God where he was. He says, I'm still praying about where God wants me to go. Well, keep praying, but work while you're here. Do something for God now. It's a door of opportunity. There's a door of opportunity uh, around you. You may see it as, 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 uh, as an obstacle. You may see it as something difficult. But look, God puts you in those situations for a reason. God puts you in a hospital for a reason. Maybe somebody needs to, to hear the word of God in the hospital that nobody in the church will be able to meet. We're not thinking about that, are we, in those times? When God has us in times of difficulty... We're not thinking of what, why God has us there. We're thinking of, God, get me out of here. We're consumed with oursel- ourselves, and I, I include myself in that. We're consumed with ourselves. We're not, thinking about, we're not thinking about God's heart, what he desires. There's a door of opportunity. It's a great door. Effectual. It's opened to me. And there are many adversaries. It's a door of opportunity. It's a door of obligation. It's personal obligation. He says the door is opened to me. Paul accepted that as his challenge. He doesn't send somebody else to meet the need. He takes the initiative. Amy Carmichael was a missionary in India for 50 years. In the jungle as she slept by the fire, she had a dream of blind multitudes walking unknowingly towards a cliff. And she would scream in her nightmare who will tell them of the danger Isaiah 6 8 said whom shall I send and who will go for us God is calling all of us to take the word of God to the to the world the question is will I do it where he has me now there's not a greater need in Mexico than here in Schaumburg Illinois God loves the people in Mexico just like he loves the people here. I wouldn't come and I wouldn't dare to, to, to tell you, you know, everybody needs to go to Mexico. God doesn't call everybody there. God doesn't call everybody to Thailand. God doesn't call everybody to Africa. But God has his providential wisdom. He places his people where he wants because he wants to have everybody hear the word of God. And there are people here today in Schaumburg, Illinois, and around in the different villages that need to hear the word of God. And God has you here to be able to do that. Will you do it? Will you take the opportunity? Will will you make that, that opportunity personal? Paul said, this door is opened unto me. Ezekiel recorded these words. He said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. 
that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God is looking for uh, among us for someone that will stand in the gap for his or her family, for his or her neighborhood, for his or her country. God is looking for someone to stand in the gap that would take the gospel, the gospel of hope, to a dying world. Did you know that at least three quarters of the world's population does not believe in God? Does not believe in the word of God? Does not believe in Jesus? Three quarters of the population of the world? Do you believe that God loves those people? Of course he does. I'm not saying that a quarter of the population of the world is saved. I'm saying that, that at least three quarters of the world do not even believe in God. They don't believe in the Bible. This is just another book for them. They have no hope. Why do they have no hope? Because Jesus in his own word says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's pretty cut and dry. There's no hope outside of Jesus. And God has you where he has you for the explicit reason of giving the gospel of hope to someone around you. Who would that be? Paul took the responsibility. He told Ezekiel in chapter 33, Ezekiel records these words. He said, so thou son of man, I've set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. Paul told the Romans, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? It amazes me that God requires our services. He doesn't need us. But in his divine wisdom, he wants you and me. He wants you and me part of the team. He wants to employ us in his team. Why? Because he's tired? Because he can't do it? No, he wants you and I to enjoy the blessings of the harvest. He wants you and I to be able to, to, to pass the, the excuse the, 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 the expression, pass the time in eternity, casting crowns at his feet for being involved in his kingdom. Working, spreading the news, the gospel of hope, walking the walk, talking the talk as warriors in Ephesians chapter 6, with the whole armor of God put on, he wants us to enjoy the Christian life. He wants us to enjoy eternity, rejoicing with him over the men and women and children saved by grace. Oh, it's a blessing to preach the gospel, but it's a personal obligation. Oh, how many times have you called up someone, you know, you need to talk to this person needs to be saved. Could you talk to him? You know, that, that amazes me. Now, I, I am a naturally a lazy person. Somebody comes and says, Pastor, could you talk to this person and give him the gospel? I look back and said, um, can you talk to him and give him the gospel? Could you do that? Oh, oh but, but uh, uh, why, don't you, why, why don't you? You do it. You do it. 
Take, the, take that opportunity. Take that responsibility. God is looking for a man. God is looking for a woman. God is looking for a teenager. God is looking for a child to stand in the gap. Maybe you're that person. Maybe you need to hear the words that Mordecai told to Esther when, she, when he said, maybe God has put you here today for this reason. What are you going to do about it? It's a door of opportunity. It's a door of obligation. It's a door of opposition. Verse 9, and there are many adversaries. Demetrius was an adversary in Ephesus, a local businessman selling religious items and idols. In Acts chapter 19, caused a ruckus. Obstacles. I have to admit, there have been occasions when I said, God, I didn't sign up for this. I just want to preach. I just want to disciple. I just want to, to baptize. And I, I, I just want to do the work of the ministry and, and you know, silence. And then I, uh, Yes, I know this is the work of the ministry. It, you know, there, there's opposition. There are times when things go against everything we desire. Physical opposition. We, we fought with, with uh, forest fires the last, not this year, the three years before in a row. Three years in a row, forest fires. Thank the Lord, no lives lost. Thank the Lord, no buildings lost. We lost 11 to 12 uh, acres of, of land. Of doors. Of uh, trees. But when the fires come, we have to 24 hours, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, we have to watch. We're walking up and down the mountains. There are no paths. You just have to walk. You have to make a path. Fire breaks here. Fire breaks there. You have to be watching that the fire doesn't go underground and then later come out. And the wind takes it over and starts it, and starts it again. It's, it's, it's a laborious time. It lasts for three months. The fires come down through the valley. You can see them uh, 25 miles away. The fire, you can see the smoke. So we began preparations. And oftentimes we say, God, this wasn't in the contract. I'd much rather be winning souls. I'd much rather be preaching the word of God. But here I am at three in the morning. Climbing up this mountain. Pitch black outside. I'm tired. My knees hurt. My ankle's a little stiff. Now, I'm not by myself. We have other people on staff. We take turns. And you think, God, why is this all happening? It's part of the opposition that, that is, is present in the ministry in the world because the devil is not happy when the gospel is going out. He wants to discourage. He wants to, 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 de- to deceive. He wants to take people, distract them from their, from their, from their, uh, uh, de- uh, their duties. He wants, to, he wants to do anything he can so that God will be, will be uh, hurt. So the heart of God would be hurt. He's looking to hurt the Lord. You know, we don't mean anything to the devil. You don't mean anything to the devil. He's concerned about getting to the heart of God because God loves us. His desire is to walk with us, to have fellowship with us. That's why he created Adam and Eve. He, wanted to, he walked with him in the garden. That's what he wants to do with you and with me. He wants to walk with us on a daily basis, have fellowship with us. 
The devil steals that fellowship when he, he turns our heart to the, to the devil, when he turns our heart to fleshly desires, when he keeps us so busy that we forget God. And of course, when we're too busy to spread the gospel of hope. Religious fanatics, burdened down by traditions without the truth of God. It's quite an opposition. Adversaries. Contrary conversations, lies. Ignorance. Vehicles breaking down. Sickness. Lawsuits. Government corruption. Oh, there's all kinds of opposition. But you know, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul reminds the Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God because this is not a game. Our goal in the mission field is not to have fun. Our goal is to be in the battle. And in the battle, sometimes you get whopped upside the head with a big sword. Sometimes you fall. Sometimes there's pain. Sometimes there's difficulty. Sometimes you have to back up and start again. That's what war is all about. That's what battle is all about. It's not saying, well, he hit me. I'm not going to, I'm leaving. Folks, it's a war. Realize that your enemy is not your your brother. Your enemy is not your wife. It's not your husband. The enemy is the the devil. The enemy, he's looking to, to distract us from the work of God. We must identify Satan's strategies to quench the fires of evangelism. There are many adversaries. Even so, Paul did not flinch. He went forward. I alluded to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I would invite you to read the chapter and see all that Paul went through and how he was back into it. Get up and right back into it. Even in prison, he wasn't moping around. He has my respect. I don't know what I would do if I was stuck in prison for preaching the gospel. I honestly, I, I think... God, how in the, thank you for preserving me from that. (laughs) We must identify his strategies and not flinch, but go forward. There is opposition. There are many adversaries. There always would be adversaries. But if you and I are doing something for God and, and nothing is happening, that means there's no opposition. You should worry. The devil's not too worried about you. But I'll tell you what, when you make a decision to serve God, and you make a decision to commit yourself to, to serving him, to sacrifice time, to sacrifice talents, the devil's going to paint a target on your back. And you better be ready for it. Put on the armor of God, the whole armor, in prayer. The word of God's right here. It's not a game. And when it comes, you get back up and you go forward. There's a door. I don't know what that door is in your life. I know that God has placed in our lives opportunities, abundant opportunities every day. God has put me in Mexico, in Morelia, Michoacan, in between Guadalajara and Mexico City, right right in the middle. He's put me there. 
church ministry, camp ministry. We have kids and families, uh, teenagers that come from all over Mexico. This summer they came from Hermosillo, which is 20, about 25 hours driving. They, they flew part of the way. And also from the south, southern, southern tip of Mexico in the, in the, the, the uh, Riviera, Riviera. About 30 hours they drove. You know what? There's adversaries. There's accidents. There's sickness. There's corruption. There's discouragement. But we must keep on. One day, the door of opportunity will close. Just as the day when God closed the door of the ark, leaving an unbelieving world on the outside without hope. Just as the groom closed the door of the wedding feast, leaving five virgins outside the festivities without the opportunity to enter. One day, the door of opportunity will close. I'll take advantage of it before it closes. Now, I praise the Lord that if you've accepted him as your savior, I'm talking about the opportunity to serve him while you can. How many more years do you have? Well, this I'll close. Talking to a fella on the street about five or six months ago. Just knocking on the door. He came to the door, an elderly man. As I was chatting with him, he he said, oh, yeah, I know about that stuff. I, I grew up in a Baptist home. I said, really? That's odd. Tell me about it. So he did. He said he grew up in a, in a home where his dad had the Bible and they would go to church, a Baptist church, as a kid. I said, oh, so, so you know the Lord. You're sure that you're going to be in heaven one day? And he said, oh, no. No, I don't, I don't do that anymore. I said, really? What happened? Well, I got married. I got out of the, uh, out of the house and got married, and my wife is Catholic. Her whole family's Catholic. Well, that's normal in Mexico. I said, and? Well, I didn't want any problems. So I decided to, to leave it all behind. I go to her church. I'm Catholic now. And I said, and how has that worked out for you? Oh, great. Haven't had any problems. Oh, that's, well, I'm glad it worked out for you. He's like, yeah, he's congratulating himself. And I said, excuse me, sir, how old are you? He said, uh, 65. I said, how many years do you think God is going to give you in this life? He got kind of nervous. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm just asking, how many years do you think you have left? Um, I don't know. Nobody knows. You're right. Nobody knows. I'm not trying to put a time limit on your, on your life. But if, if God is, is, is kind to you and you have five, six, seven more years, 72, 75, you think, how, how, how does that sound to you? Oh, well, now that you talk about me, yeah, it's about right. Let's say you have seven years left. I don't know. I'm no prophet. Seven years and you're gone. Really? Oh, I, I, I don't know. Would you be willing to for seven more years of peace in the house exchange that for an eternity in hell? 
He said, well, well now that you put it that way, that, that's, uh, I don't think anybody would do that. I said, why don't you accept Christ? You know what he said? No, no, I don't want any problems. You see how the devil works? Had him deceived. Oh, there's lots of opportunities. I, I pray for the man that God will turn, it, turn his heart before he takes him. But one day it'll be too late. One day it'll be too late for you to go to that family member that you've been praying for for all these years. One day it'll be too late for you. To, when you desire to do it, you'll not be able to do it physically. You say, oh, I wish I had spent the years of my youth to be able to take the gospel. Now I can't. The need is overwhelming. Folks, the, the, the sad thing is that we have the, we have the answer and we're not using it. The message needs to go out now. Let's pray.